Now on Radio Italia Uno, it's time to change the world with Matt McQuinley. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. We focus on changing the world for the better by taking personal responsibility, canceling cancel culture, discussing and listening to each other on topics like leadership, cultural trends, business, history, and more. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Right now on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello and welcome to Change the World with Matt McQuinley. We have a fabulous guest today, Chris Ramsden. Uh, from Excellium. As you know, our focus on the show is to do our best to help change the world for the better. And Chris is focused on doing that in people's lives on an individual basis by one of the most important ways possible, education. Chris is aligned with our focus on this show and is making a difference in people's lives as we speak. Hi, Chris. How are you doing today? Chris? Hello. How are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you, Matt? Great, great. Are you staying cool? I'm staying cool, yes. I'm in the shed at the back of my garden with air conditioning on. Okay, all right. Well, it's it's warm here in the studio, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad that you're cool and uh, and having a good time. But uh, I, welcome again to the show. I mean, can you please tell us a little bit about your journey? Because my understanding is you had 30 years experience in education and and also what you're trying to accomplish with Excellium. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me and asking me that question. So, yeah, I started back in uh, uh, 1990. I started as a teacher back in uh, a North Yorkshire, sorry, a South Yorkshire town uh, called Rotherham. Um, I was a PE teacher. Uh, and I worked there for 11 years in an inner city uh, school uh, on the outskirts of a big city called Sheffield. Uh, and then in 1999, I did a one-year teaching exchange over here to uh, Australia. Uh, that was on the East Coast. It was a place called Aladella, mm. a beautiful uh, location. And within three months of being there, my wife and I decided we wanted to come and live here in Australia uh, permanently. So we, that's what we did. We went back home. We had to go back and do a, I had to do one, one year of work back in the school to share my learnings from the, the Australian education system. Uh, and then we migrated and came back here in uh, 2001. Mm. On arriving in 2001, I basically secured a position at a school called Emmanuel College here in Adelaide. I worked there as head of boys sport for um, a year. And then I moved on to another school here in Adelaide called Scotch College, where I was head of PE and head of house. And uh, yeah, just a, that's, that's exactly where I was, if you like, until 2007. In 2007, I was getting a little bit frustrated, something which had been happening for quite some time. In terms of kids coming to me, I was teaching year 12 physical education, but I was also uh, responsible, if you like, for the whole pastoral and academic welfare of my house. Uh, and I was really frustrated with a number of kids coming to me and not thinking. It seemed to me that they didn't want to challenge their own thinking. They wanted me to do the thinking for them. And I found that something of a frustration. So I didn't want to end up being one of the uh, people in the staff room who was waiting for retirement and moaning and groaning in a corner. So what I did was I, uh, I took a year out. I took a year out unpaid to try and discover my love of learning, my love of education again, if you like. And uh, what I did was I discovered a methodology in Israel called MindLab. So MindLab uh, was a, a methodology using uh, games like chess. It was actually founded by two chess masters. So games like chess, which they'd sourced, um, which taught various different skills to the kids. And then alongside that, they built a methodology uh, which taught problem-solving methodologies, problem-solving models of thinking, all about basically learning how to think, thinking how to think, uh, metacognition, as we call it in the educational sphere, uh, appointed many ways as metaphors, so metaphors which are really, really easily understandable for kids to be able to tap into them and relate to them when they're faced with issues in their, in their learning. Uh, and then the really important thing from my perspective is that we then transfer from the game and the learnings into real life, be that in a learning situation in class, be that maths, English, uh, social, social education, or be that their own, their own lives, working, being at home and just being good human beings. So that's what I've been doing, if you like, since 2007, and love that. 
really, really enjoy, get a lot of satisfaction in seeing kids grow and develop the thinking skills. Uh, over the last four years, we actually, as a company, have changed the company name globally to Axelium. Uh, reason being, we've actually moved towards bringing technology in to assist us to accelerate the learning uh, and make it much more accessible to many more teachers and kids around the world, uh, rather than the hands-on game, which is fabulous, fabulous way to learn, but isn't always accessible to all of the schools. So now I can work with schools Australia-wide. I can train them online if I so wish, uh, visit them and work with them in schools if I so wish, but it's just a, a real nice development, niche development to meet kids, if you like, where they're at in that online space as well. Wow. that's There's so much there to unpack. That's And, and I, I just want to say as a parent, I commend you for, for you know your crusade, for lack of a better term. Uh, it, it's really, yeah. really exciting stuff. I mean, and, and you know, I, it's something I've been thinking about myself a lot the last few years is it seems to me that we're headed back – and I, I'd like your opinion because yours is obviously a lot more valuable than mine. But it seems <laughs> to me that we're heading back towards the old ways, you know, where education used to be before the Industrial Revolution – teaching us how to think and problem solve and more of the Aristotelian Socratic method of, of learning, you know, uh, yeah. and, and it just seems like during the industrial revolution, we were trying to almost mechanize or manufacture education and, you know, just pour information into their brain. They regurgitate it and that's the education. Um, is, is that an accurate What's portrayal? A lot. I love the perception you're showing there, Matt. It's, uh, it's certainly real, really, really strong observations you make there. Uh, certainly, going back to the Socratic method of, uh, of asking questions, asking questions, you know, basically getting to the root cause of things is really, really where we are in terms of our, our educational journey and what we believe is really, really important for kids in this day and age. Uh, yes, the Industrial Revolution was something which we basically... Packed big kids in as, as factories packed people in, uh, and we basically educated for that system. And that system no longer is is with us, and it's no longer relevant. And we, we as teachers, have got to really ignite the kids' love of learning, rather than say this is what you have to learn and this is what you must regurgitate. Which is kind of like what I was doing when I was at school back in the 1970s. I remember sitting in class, and if I wasn't paying particular attention, a board rubber would go flying past my ear, and uh, that was a different world, I think. And now we've got to really capture kids' attention in a better way than a board rubber around the ear, I believe. Mm. Well, it, that's, it just seems – yeah, I, 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 I don't want to talk too much about myself, but when I was uh, in university, most of – I was pre-med, and most of the guys that graduated became doctors, and – I was in class with these guys, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they became a doctor because they <laughs> memorized, but they really – the questions they would ask in class showed that they really didn't understand how to apply the material. Yeah. So how can you and, and we as parents help our kids actually learn things but use them in the world around them rather than walk around like some sort of walking Google well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what you say again is really, really important. I think, I think it's really obvious that today, in order to cope with the world that we're living in, it's about skills, it's not about knowledge, it's not about regurgitating facts. It's not about the subject, really. It's about your ability to, to know yourself mm. and the ability to overcome any gaps that you might have and implement some strategies to improve things. Mm. But in terms of the way we work with our methodology, it's about using the game as a provocative tool, which basically will switch the kids on. The kids are kind of like with us, because many, many people in the world love to play, and play is one of our oldest uh, methods of learning. Uh, and we tend to use play as a method of learning in schools up until maybe year one, and then all of a sudden we get very serious about what we have to do to make sure that we're uh, crossing the uh, T's and dotting the I's and making sure we fulfill every aspect of the curriculum. Uh, rather than actually really igniting a kid's love of learning, uh, and I think that's what you were alluding to really with, with what you were saying about your, your, your experience of people who had really just memorized. I, I can remember memorizing myself back in the day, but can I remember those things right now? Absolutely not. So I think if, if what, I ask, what, what are we wanting the kids to learn? I mean, are, are, they want, are we wanting them to be able to 
remember a date from the French Revolution up more than 250 years ago or wanting them to understand the, the concepts and the culture around it about the uh, basically the the freedom you know freedom was something which is really important and valued so those concepts are really I think much more important than saying I can remember what happened on a particular date in a particular time in a particular epoch and they're really really important skills that's not however to say that knowledge isn't important of course it is so anything we do in terms of thinking critical thinking is always predicated by the fact that we do need to have some subject knowledge some awareness of aspects of uh, or whatever we're studying as well so i'm not i'm not uh, saying hey let's go and just let them do whatever they want and woozy woozy mm-hmm. uh it's much more about the kids being able to take some control of their learning, understand where it's going, and, and really drive their learning into way, ways which have meaning for them. So a, a, real, a real thrust, if you like, for me at this moment in time is I'm working uh, to, towards developing some work with a group called B1G1, which is called Buy One, Give One. And the concept there is that uh, every time someone does something good for me, as in pays me for an invoice or connects with me on LinkedIn, then I do something good for the world. So I'm able to... Uh, uh, give education to kids in uh, impoverished countries. And it's just a real nice concept that I'm working with. And that's what I'm trying to infuse into some of the aspects of education I'm doing as well. Wow, that's awesome. I might be going a little bit off topic there, but there you go. No, that's great. How can people learn more about that? Is there a website or a... There is. There's a, there's a website called b1g1.com. Uh, but again, they could get in touch with me because uh, it's something I'm really looking to push forward with uh, in this new year. Uh, and become a bit of an ambassador for the B1G1 uh, group, if you like. Awesome. Well, we're going to be right back with Chris Ramsden and some other keen insights on education real soon. Vuoi promuovere la tua attività? Vuoi aumentare il tuo volume di affari? Non sai a chi rivolgerti? Chiama Radio Italia 1. Il nostro staff commerciale è a disposizione per ogni informazione o preventivo personalizzato. Chiama all'82123177. Radio Italia 1. E anche tu sarai un numero 1. Italia 1 Adelaide. Looking for a new coffee machine for your home or workplace? Look no further than Fine Choice Coffee Solutions, your experts in all things coffee. Why not come in for a chat and a special coffee tasting? You'll find us at 264 Gilbert Street in the city. Mention Radio Italia 1 and you will receive a free 250 gram bag of freshly roasted coffee beans. You can also shop online at www.fccoffee.com.au where you'll find our large range of premium roasted coffee beans, coffee machines, accessories, hot chocolates, teas and lots, lots more. I'm Danielle from Fine Choice Coffee Solutions, your one-stop shop for all things caffeine. Radio Italia 1 You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello, we're back with Chris Ramsden, uh, member of Excellium and 30 years experience in education. Uh, We're going to talk, I want to talk a little bit about uh, something, Chris, and get your opinion on it. I, you know, I have nothing but the deepest respect for teachers. I mean, they're spending their lives trying to help out others uh, you know, get to where they want to get in life and, and improve society. But it just seems to me that maybe the system, the way they're trained is what's hurting us. Because in my opinion, for example, how can you make history boring? History has got more backstabbing, more, you know, <laughs> more twists and turns, more wild sex, more crazy stuff going on in it than things that you can even make up. You know, and it, and if you teach science the right way, it's like magic when you're doing chemistry in class. You know, I mean, math, I mean, it, it, you know, you can present it in such a way where it's a contest to get the right answer and it's a challenge it just seems to me like the system that we have is is taking all the fun out of it um i don't know what you think about that but uh, it just seems to me that learning should be fun it's exciting well you certainly come to the right place if you if you uh, want the answer that learning should be fun yes it should be fun it should be engaging it should be relevant it should be meaningful um if i take you back to when I when I resigned from my position, if you like, to 2007, I was frustrated with that situation, and crazily at the time, 
self-confession here, I thought it was the, the kids. I thought it was the kids that I was teaching. I'd come from a, an industrial working class background in the UK, te teaching inner city kids. And I came to a, a school which was not quite the same uh, socioeconomic uh, demographic. And I just thought it was the kids that were perhaps a little bit, uh, a little bit spoiled, if you like. Mm. Uh, and I was frustrated from that point of view. But I very quickly came to realize that it certainly isn't the kids at all. It's the educational system that really needs a big shake-up. And, uh, you know, COVID is, is the catalyst which is probably giving it that shake-up right now. So there's a lot of things going on in a lot of really good schools. And there's a lot of fantastic teachers out there doing some really good things, some really good things. There's lots of developments which are using technology to enhance uh, the pedagogy that they're, uh, they're delivering. And so I, I have nothing but praise for many, many of my colleagues in education. Uh, and I really feel that they are hamstrung. Here in uh, Australia, we have a national curriculum which some states teach and some states don't, and we can't even agree on what we should be teaching in that national curriculum. Uh, it really is uh, handcuffing, hand, hands tied, or many teachers, um, and we need to teach them that they can actually deliver their, their educational content, if you like, in, in individualized ways, in ways which appeal to their kids, to their, to their way of teaching, rather than trying to just cram things into bottles. We need to, we need to light those candles and, and be candles ourselves, which, uh, and as lifelong learners ourselves, we should be really sucking up and taking on board the new methodologies aligning them with some of the older methodologies. I'm not saying we get away and throw everything out, out with the bathwater, but really it's about saying, okay, what works from the past, what works for now, and what's, what's necessary for the future? What is it we really need to do to equip our kids to be ready for, for a life where they can uh, not just survive, but actually thrive going forward? Hmm. Well, it just seems like uh, a lot of these jobs that, you know, are existing now. I mean, I, I, I was lucky and had a pretty good business career, but I think if I started now, I'd be in deep trouble. I mean, I, I think that things have changed so much and so fast that uh, the old ways don't really work. I mean, how do you think uh, you can, the educational system can prepare people for jobs that, I mean, these jobs that are here now won't exist, I don't think, and we don't even know what jobs will be created in well, the future. Well, that, that is the crux of it, yeah. We don't know what the, what the jobs will be, but it really is about teaching those, those personal, those human-centric skills, those transferable skills. Yes, we still teach knowledge and content, but we really need to be making sure that kids have got the capacity to be resilient, to show character strength. You know, these are all the things that industry is indicating are missing, uh, so teamwork, critical thinking, creative thinking. We need to be really getting down to doing that sort of uh, positive education content, if you like, and methodology within schools. Mm. We, all, we, we all get drawn to our comfort zones. So it's really important that we, uh, that we drag people out of those comfort zones, and that's adults and kids alike. Uh, and we've got to really teach them that they've got to be flexible. If we want to survive... We've got to be able to really change and modify and go with the, go with the flow and, and create the flow. Hmm. So whether we're kids, whether we're teachers, we've got to make sure that basically we're working our cognitive abilities, we're working our emotional abilities, we're improving our skill set, if you like, so that we can cope with every situation we might find. And as we found this last, last couple of years with COVID, it's a, it's a changing world. So we've got changes happening in the world of education, we've got changes happening in the world of medicine, We've got changes happening in the world of business. We've got changes ha happening in the world of, uh, of basically our communication across the world. We're a global society now. Uh, and with those changes comes the need to really be able to cope with that. Uh, and basically, in order to do that, you've got to improve your abilities uh, to cope and adapt to those changes. So for me, that's the most important thing we need to do with our kids is to really dial down a little bit and work on those uh, basically 21st century skills, as we call them. But as you said earlier on, back to those earlier days, those uh, Socratic teachings, there's a beautiful saying by Plato, if I relate to my own uh, methodology, which is that uh, you can learn more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. Mm. And I, I really believe that. I think that when people play, you can simulate their thinking processes. You can see the way they approach challenges their attitudes and how they analyze the way that they are thinking, making their thinking visible and de demonstrating flexibility in their thinking. 
And this is exactly the kind of things that today, you know, the world of work's looking for. Games, the games that we, which we use, give us that chance. They're microcosms of life, microcosms of society, and they demonstrate and simulate those skills that, as you were talking about. So I think our methodology works hand in hand alongside uh, a number of methodologies existing in the school today. Mm. Do you think, I don't know how it works in Australia as well as, as America, um, but I know in America there's a lot of standardized testing. Um, my understanding is there's some in Australia. Is that correct? Absolutely. You, you'll find that standardized testing is the norm across the Western world. Uh, and with standardized testing comes standardized teaching, and that's exactly the, what we want to be walking away from. Yeah, is that the, you with, think with, that's with, the big problem? Is that you know why why this is more of a regurgitate type of uh, education um, versus a uh, you know. Because uh, what I'm hearing from you is the music is more important than the words, you know, um, and is it? Is, I, like, is, I think it's really important for me to say here that when I first started this methodology back in 2007, the company itself started in 1994. 2007, I started to try and uh, introduce the methodology to Australia. I've spoken to a number of principals in recent times, and they said, "Chris, you were just way ahead of your time. We weren't ready for it then." And we're only just getting ready for it in this in this day and age now. So, uh, if if you are certainly my ears to the ground all the time, and I'm involved with a number of uh, educational uh, groups, and there is a big push to really change, modify the way things are taught in schools. Uh, there are a number of agencies out there really working hard in Australia to to modify and challenge that status quo. But they are unfortunately being held back by the political agenda. Mm. And that's always going to be the case, I think, in our westernized societies. But we've got to fight. We've got to stand up and fight. It's our time to rise, if you like, is a, a nice little phrase I quite like. It's our, our time as teachers to rise and, uh, and challenge that status quo. When you say uh, it's being held by, down by politics, do you mean like teachers' unions? I mean, what, where's the resistance coming from? Uh, so so the, the, poli the politics I'm talking about is basically uh, national and state governments and uh, and the, the overarching uh, uh, organizations that would actually decree what should be taught and how it should be taught. And, you know, it, it's, it's frustrating that, you know, when you look at education ministers around the country, how many of them actually are educators? How many of them have actually been involved with education? There was, there was one uh, a few years ago in uh, New South Wales, a fellow called Jihad Dib. Uh, someone I actually taught with in Aladolid in New South Wales on my exchange. He then went on to become a principal in Punchbowl, a very tough inner city area, and he was the shadow education minister for Labour over there in uh, in uh, New South Wales. But guess what? He got moved from that portfolio to a different portfolio. And I'm going, why is that? Why just why do we do this? Why don't we use the skills and expertise of people? I'm not a political animal, but I'm always puzzled by the fact that we uh, we are told how to do things in education by people who perhaps have only ever been in class, class back in the 1970s, the 1980s, uh, and since then have not really been involved with education until they get that portfolio. So it's, it's kind of a little irk for me as an educator. Mm. Wow. Well, it, with that keen insight, we're going to uh, go, go to a quick break, and we'll be right back with uh, Chris to talk a little bit more about education in Australia. How good is Mighty Joe's? They're brilliant. Mighty Joe's is the largest fruit market in South Australia. They handle all Italian small goods. And a family business. Yeah, that's right. Four decades. Joe and Francesco, they're proud to present fresh produce from local growers and local produce markets, passing massive savings on to you. And their service is so friendly. Tell me about the opening hours. Absolutely. They're open 7 until 7, Monday to Friday, and 7 until 5, Saturday and Sundays. And they have weekly bargains and specials, like nuts and fruit and veg, cold meats, pastas, and plenty more. And they've got a new shop. They certainly have. Mighty Joe's are now at 115 Findon Road, Woodville. Check their Facebook page, Mighty Joe's Fruit Market. I need some fruit and veg. I'm heading down right now. I'll come down with you. I'm Peter Salerno. Please join me on Happy Business Radio every Monday, 2 to 3 p.m. on Radio Italia Uno. We have lots of fun with very interesting guests. We talk about how to start, build and increase your business. 
Happy Business Radio on Radio Italia 1 87.6 FM Ora più che mai l'assistenza che le famiglie conoscono e di cui si fidano è qui per te a bene con i nostri servizi di assistenza domiciliare i tuoi cari diventano nostri offriamo servizi di supporto sociale e assistenza per fare la spesa ed Andrea si è sentito completamente a suo agio il personale è stato fantastico fornendomi supporto sociale a casa bene, fornisce servizi per mantenere uno stile di vita attivo e di benessere assistenza domiciliare o residenziale agli anziani con rispetto e calore con bene, sei in famiglia chiamaci all'81 31 2000 o visitaci su bene.org.au Beds sale on right now at Save-A-Lot Beds. Lowest prices in Adelaide. Save hundreds or even thousands. New orthopedic beds in queen or double for only $4.49. Australian-made queen or double mattresses for only $1.99. King-size pillow-top mattresses for only $4.99. Get the good night's sleep you deserve. Save-A-Lot Beds sale is on right now at 634 Port Road in Beverly. Don't miss out. Get down to Save-A-Lot Beds at 634 Port Road, Beverly for the massive double queen and king size sale. Foodland's proudly owned by South Australian families like mine. Our stores are our second home. And just like home, we want you to feel safe and looked after when you visit. Thankfully, our customers have always acted like mighty South Aussies when shopping with us. Which, by the way, supports all the local family-owned brands who produce the essentials you find on our shelves. Great families, great locals and great food lives here. Radio Italia 1 You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello, we're back with Chris Ramsden, 30-year veteran of the educational system and uh, C, uh, representative in Australia of Acelium. Um Chris, can you tell us, uh, tell our audience how they can learn more about Acelium and its programs and, and how it might be able to help their children? So historically, uh, we've worked in schools. So I work in a number of schools with the hands-on version, but also now the Excellium version is in use in a number of schools here in South Australia, but also across Australia. So I've got one school in far north Queensland uh, and one in uh, one in Melbourne. So I'm starting to move further afield, so to speak. Uh, but what we've also moved to do is create a number of uh, programs which we can relate into uh, families, either as individual games or as programs of games or it could be homeschooling uh so i guess i guess the vision from that point of view is to really try and make the capacity to use games available as easily as possible to anybody so you could be a dad at home with your kid and you think that they've got some skills that they need to improve in let's say resilience or teamwork or problem solving or decision making you can tap into one of our programs which you can find easily accessible on our website Uh, the website I guess you would like me to tell you is axelium.com.au. Axelium is spelled A-C-C-E-L-I-U-M.com.au. You can go on there. You'll find that there are sections dedicated to education. Uh, with the education will break down to schools and families. Then there's also sections dedicated to the corporate world. Uh, so we can actually get involved and work with I don't know, basically human resource managers or trainers or just any small company that actually wants to actually deliver some upskilling of their workforce with 21st century skills, human-centric skills, uh, and we can help them to make that accessible. I guess that's a bit of a dream, a bit of a vision, is that anybody who is a, a teacher, a parent, a coach, a trainer, a university professor can actually just take a game and use it to make the transferences to whatever their uh, subject matter may be and make it as easy as possible and, you know, basically not break the bank to do that as well. And that's one of, that's one of my aims here in Australia to be able to make that accessible. Wow, that's wonderful. Um, I, I know that, that uh, game-based learning is something that's actually even promoted for people that have had some brain trauma or people with, that are having early-onset Alzheimer's, those kind of things. What, what kind of uh, research and studies uh, that – back up that this is uh, key to helping out young people as well? So the methodology, sorry, the, the research that has been conducted on our methodology has really been across 
uh, mainly the, the school sector across the globe. Mm-hmm. We have many uh, research studies which you can access on our website. Uh, we have a developing body of knowledge on the corporate world as well. Um, actually, specifically for people in the dementia space or people with mental trauma, we don't have research specifically on that, but anecdotally, I can tell you I've worked with uh, some pre, uh, pre, 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 uh, conditioned people in, um, old people's homes, if you like. I've done some work with them, and some of the games have been really, really beneficial to them to really keep them illuminated and alive. And lots of, lots of companies actually online do a number of things, again, to, to really t- tap on to keep that brain alive. Mm. So, uh, one, one of my other aims is that uh, I, I have a plethora of hands-on games here, so I'd love to be able to empower a, a group of volunteers, if you like, to be able to use my games to go into, when we can, of course, when COVID allows us to, to be able to go into uh, old, old people's homes, retirement homes, and just give them, number one, that love of playing the game, which they probably had anyway from when they were younger, but also that human touch, that communication, that, uh, you know, the people in there who may be very lonely and the game is just such a fabulous tool to sit across from and share things and share feelings and share emotions. Uh, so that, that's kind of another little little hope for me. I have worked with uh, kids with Down syndrome. I've worked with kids with autism and, again, seen some good results, but nothing that's had a particularly longitudinal study that I could quote mm-hmm. on that for you. Are there any studies that talk about children... I don't want to uh, – that are in the educational system, how they pick up things quicker with the game-based um, learning? Specifically, uh, I was going to allude to them picking up things quicker. Uh, I was looked at basically the fact that the games are the tool which basically enables them to develop those cognitive skills, social mm. skills. So we've done a number of tests in different countries around the world, but I, I, I would be – I would be false if I was to tell you that I have the hands-on research Mm. for that, but you're asking me specifically there now. But there's anecdotal evidence to prove that. Oh, absolutely. As with anything like this, it it, it is very difficult to to produce the data Mm. uh, around it, but what we have done in recent times is we are developing uh, assessment in the uh, the blended learning space. So our artificial intelligence is able to monitor, modify, and assess uh, either in the school situation or in the corporate situation and in uh, basically recruitment. So we have some recruitment uh, tests to shortcut uh, things for people who are wanting to employ people. Uh, so that's something we've, we're, we're developing all the time, and that's, that's a, a burgeoning industry, if you like, on its own. I know that you had a name change recently you mentioned in the beginning of the show uh, because you're getting more tech involved. Can you talk about that a little bit, like what tech's getting involved? You alluded a little bit to AI. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so as I said, traditionally we used to use uh, – well, we still do, and I, I certainly do with a number of my schools here in South Australia – use hands-on games, which, which may resemble chess, uh, and we would basically deliver a, a class set of uh, the games to a school. They would use the – uh, class set of those games, and we would upskill the teachers in the methodology, in the training, and the transference. Uh, but uh, that was, you know, a little bit exclusive, if you like, for a number of schools who, number one, got it, number, you know, understood it, and typically they were private schools who uh, were able to fund it and understood that broader, broader uh, benefits of working with these games. Uh, but more, more recently, we have really recognised we we needed to. If we wanted to get the methodology to more people, which is one of our massive aims, which I talked about recently, we needed a different way, and therefore we went to pursue the use of artificial intelligence number one uh, to be able to house the games on a platform where the artificial intelligence is able to monitor, change, uh, adapt to your performance, so therefore everything becomes a very personalized experience, so it's student-centered, student-led. Uh, and then alongside that, we provide schools with and, and the corporates with um, multimedia presentations, PowerPoints, which are already preloaded uh, with all the transferences and the teachings with a script behind them. But the really important thing is that what I'm saying there is here is our menu. This is what we would do if we were cultivating a, a, menu, a, a meal right now. But you, Matt, are the master chef. You're the teacher. You're the trainer. You're the coach. You're the... You're Justin Langer, the Australian cricket coach. You, know, you can take these 
materials and make them your own, bespoke them to your, your situation and really become that master chef. Hmm. How hard is it for you to get schools on board? Because it sounds like the program is very innovative. Uh, that's, so once a school has a conversation with me, it's usually uh, a very, very strong interest is, is, is developed. Uh, more and more, it's been recognized as something. So over the years since 2007, it's been a, it's been a tough gig to try and to get into schools. But more and more, they're now open to new ideas. But uh, I have to cough, confess here again that over the last two years, being an educator myself, I've been extremely reluctant to knock on the doors of new schools uh, when I know exactly the sorts of things that they're going through with preparation for online learning, uh, interruptions in the school day, etc. Uh, so it, it's been a difficult thing for me, if you like, conceptually to get around myself, uh, even though I know that what I have uh, would be very, very, very beneficial to them. So someone said to me the, uh, fairly recently, it was a marketing person, they said, so Chris, if uh, I had headache and you had some headache tablets, uh, you'd be doing me a massive disservice if you didn't actually prescribe those med- uh, headache tablets to me. And it was a different way of thinking for me, so I'm, I'm, I'm coming at it from a different angle now, and I'm trying to, to push myself forward a little bit more. But uh, most, of my, most of my schools have typically come from word of mouth or from uh, the fact that I've a, we as a company and I have won various awards here in Australia, which have been seen in magazines, and then people have contacted me more than me actually going out and doing the contacting schools myself. I tried that initially, uh, didn't like it, didn't sit well with me as an educator. So uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a lifelong learner myself, so I'm, I'm learning how to get to schools and talk to schools in a better way, uh, and also have that, I don't know what the, what the right word is here, but I, I'm, I'm really ethically sound, and I, I don't want to push hard, as, as, I've, as I've alluded to, when I know exactly the difficulties schools and teachers have been facing with their own their own workload in during covid and their own their own li- their own lives i mean basically lots of teachers are facing tough times so uh, even though i'm here to help it's difficult at times to actually knock on the door and say hey here i am well i would never tell you what to do chris because no one would listen to me anyway but <laughs> that being said as a past salesperson and sales trainer Man, I I just I, when I hear you say that, I think, oh, that's exactly why you should do it because they're having so much adversity right now. It yeah. means that uh, they need the help more. I agree with the headache analogy personally, but yeah, I agree with uh, you. And, I, and, and, and and you're it, it's not like you're taking advantage of these people, taking money from them. You're tr- you're on a mission to help the youth, you know. So uh, I would encourage you to. You know, if they say no, they say no. That's one of the, one of the reasons that one of the things that made me a decent salesperson is I didn't care if people laughed at me, <laughs> so or said no. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, yeah. worst thing that can happen is you can help some people out. But that's just my two cents, which is probably what I would get paid for giving that advice. So I'll certainly take that on board. <laughs> but uh, what are your plans for with Excelium in the near term and uh, your long term goals? Yes, I guess I've alluded to a little bit already with my vision. My vision is that uh, I can get the use of Axelium, the use of games into more and more and more uh, individuals or more and more schools' hands. I'm not here, as you, as you said, I'm, I am here because I, I want to make a difference. I'm not here because I want to become some mega-rich dude. If I wanted to do that, I would have packed in a few years ago and wandered off and done something else. But uh, I really didn't truly believe in what I do. And, and the benefits it brings for kids and schools and teachers and the corporate world. Uh, so I'm 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 basically wanting to grow. I'm wanting to grow. I'm currently I'm a I'm a solopreneur is the phrase I believe. Uh, but I, I'm really wanting now to try and find people who have some of the skills that I perhaps I'm not as strong in, such as those marketing and those sales skills, which would allow me to hopefully uh, work the educational side of it, which I think is probably my best. Best uh, best bow, so to speak. All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back with Chris Ramston, a 30-year veteran of the educational system. Our independence is everything. Brazier Mobility has been creating independence for people for over 30 years. 
Brazier Mobility specialises in tailored vehicle solutions to keep you active, ensuring your vehicle modification suits your needs, offering you unlimited freedom. Brazier Mobility boasts a team of highly skilled technicians working in a state-of-the-art facility located here in South Australia. No compromises are made when it comes to client satisfaction. Call them for a friendly chat on 1800 Brazier or visit their website braziermobility.com.au Brazier Mobility, creating independence. Destinazione Australia è l'appuntamento settimanale con le ispiranti storie di vita della nuova generazione di italiani in Australia. Ci racconteranno i loro viaggi intorno al mondo, i loro percorsi di studio, sogni e progetti futuri. Inoltre tante informazioni utili su come intraprendere e vivere al meglio l'avventura australiana. Ogni martedì mattina in diretta alle 11 e in replica venerdì alle 18. Destinazione Australia Con Pina e Stefano Solo su Radio Italia 1 87.6 FM Estovest A restaurant that offers traditional Italian food That Nonna would approve of Famous for gnocchi And authentic Napolitana style pizza And every Thursday night You can enjoy unlimited pizza For just $25 wonderful coffee and staff that make you feel special. Estovest, Shop 1, 111 Angus Street in the city. To book, visit their website, estovest.com.au and click on Book Now. You'll feel like you're in Italy. Radio Italia 1 You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Welcome back. I want to thank uh, Mark Aston today for paneling for us. And, of course, I want to thank uh, profusely uh, Chris Ramsden uh, for being with us here today from Excellium. Chris, uh, in a minute or so, can you please tell us you know, how they can learn more about the great work that you're doing and the plans that Excellium has for the future of education? Uh, so basically, uh, I have a website, which is Axelium.com.au. Uh, I am easily found on the social media, so on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Chris Ramsden, Game-Based Education. Uh, I have a, a presence on Facebook, which is not somewhere I use it particularly. I have a presence on Twitter, So educators typically would be anywhere in and around that way, but uh, I'd love to hear from anybody who like the concept of introducing games with their schools, individuals, kids, corporates, anything along that, anything in the avenue. Uh, so we're, we're about developing human beings. We're about developing people who can make a difference themselves, so giving them ecosystems and ways of thinking so that they can actually be the change makers for the future. And our kids are, are certainly a, a strong point in that in that point of view. They're the storytellers of the future. They're the ones who, uh, as Steve Jobs said, they're the stor- storytellers. They are the ones right now who are are going to be talking in 30 years' time, 40 years' time, when I'm probably no longer here, about co- coronavirus and how that impacted lives and how we had to change and modify. Uh, so I guess if, I, my parting shot, if, if I could be so bold, would be to actually Uh, refer to a, a, a university professor from uh, UQ, University of Queensland, a fellow called Dr. Peter Ellerton. And I just love this quote. I'll try and paraphrase if I may. So he says that learning to think well is a path to individual resilience, not just intellectual, but emotional. It can empower students to deepen their understanding of the world around them and deal with contradictions and uncertainty. Now, if we're not facing contradictions and uncertainty right now in our world. I don't know what we are doing. Uh, and we need kids to come forward and really try and push forward and develop and, and help uh, our future. So that, that's, that's one of my major big aims, so to speak. And that was probably a lot more than a minute. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. <laughs> well, on that key insight, I want to thank everyone for listening. And I want uh, to remind everybody to tune in next week at 6 p.m. for Change the World with Matt McQuinley on 87.6 FM Radio Italia Uno. And as always, I'll leave you with a brief inspirational message. 
This inspirational message is brought to you by Save-A-Lot Beds. You deserve a good night's sleep. Visit their showroom at 634 Port Road in Beverly or call them on 1-300-791919. On April 14, 1866, one of many little girls was born to poverty in Massachusetts to poor Irish immigrants who had fled the Great Potato Famine in Ireland. At five, she contracted a bacterial eye disease which caused multiple painful infections and made her nearly blind. Three years later, at the age of eight, her mother died of tuberculosis. Her father abandoned her and his other two children. The youngest child was left with her aunt. She and her brother Jimmy were sent to a poorhouse in Tewkesbury, Massachusetts. Her brother died four months later, also of tuberculosis. During her time at Tewkesbury, she had three failed eye operations. Conditions in poorhouses, sanitariums, orphanages, etc. was very poor in the 1800s. However, the poorhouse she was in had so many reports of cruelty towards inmates, sexual perverted practices, and even cannibalism that an investigation was launched into the poorhouse. One of the investigators was a man who founded the Perkins School for the Blind in Boston. It is reported that this little girl jumped in front of the inspector and said, I want to go to school. Because of this, she was eventually sent to the Perkins School for the Blind. She did not fit in. She was rough. She came from a very low socioeconomic class background. And as a fellow Irishman, I can say she had the Irish temper. Eventually, though, she graduated valedictorian of her class. She learned finger speaking from the first person with deaf blindness to get a formal education, Laura Bridgman. She had several more eye operations that actually did improve her vision. Upon graduation, she was terrified. Remember, she had no family, no money, no one to turn to, very poor vision, and no prospects, and she had to leave the school and everyone she knew and fend for herself. Luckily, the director of the school was contacted by a man named Arthur, who was searching for a teacher, governess, to take care of his seven-year-old daughter who had lost her sight and hearing at age 19 months. So this 22-year-old, partially blind young woman, leaves everything and everyone she knows and goes from the liberal northern state of Massachusetts to the deep south, Alabama. She did not hit it off with her employers. She immediately argued and had trouble with them as she was a poor northern liberal and they were rich and had owned slaves themselves less than 20 years before. Their child who had lost all sight and hearing at 19 months was wild, unkept and undisciplined and there was no way to communicate with her. This inexperienced 22-year-old used the cutting-edge research that she had learned to no avail. After months of effort, there was no progress at all with the child and she could not find a way to communicate with her. She changed tactics and taught her student based on her own interests. She isolated her from her parents and everyone else so she was completely forced to rely only on her. Eventually, miraculously, she broke through. Six months after the initial breakthrough, her student could communicate with 575 words, had learned Braille and a few multiplication tables. Her parents sent her and her now 23-year-old teacher back to the Perkins School for the Blind. Eventually, this girl, now eight, named Helen Keller, became the first deaf-blind person to ever receive a bachelor's university degree. Her teacher, Ann Sullivan, was Helen's teacher, then mentor, then friend, and finally companion for the next 49 years. At the age of 22, Helen Keller wrote her autobiography, which is still in print 140 years later and has been translated in over 50 languages. Helen Keller wrote 13 more books and also founded HKI, which combats causes and consequences of blindness in 22 countries. Helen co-founded the American Civil Liberties Union, which is nationwide in the U.S. and has over 500,000 members. 
She was an early backer of the NAACP, which led the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Helen and Ann were involved in women's suffrage, labor rights, disability rights, and the promotion of world peace. They inspired thousands around the world through their public speaking and inspire millions more to this day. Helen Keller was awarded the highest civilian honors available in Brazil, the Philippines, Japan, Lebanon, and the United States. Helen Keller and Ann Sullivan were awarded multiple honorary degrees from universities, including Harvard. They became friends with presidents, first ladies like Eleanor Roosevelt, actors like Charlie Chaplin, and authors like Mark Twain, who called Ann Sullivan the miracle worker. What do we learn from them? Well, many, many things. A few might be the following. First, it doesn't matter where you started out, it's where you end up. Would anyone truly consider that Ann Sullivan, a poor blind orphan girl, would go on to directly and indirectly inspire millions, even to this day, as well as help through her activism, millions of others? Would anyone really believe that a wild, untamed, blind and deaf seven-year-old girl, decades before women even had the right to vote, who could not even behave or communicate with the world around them, would later be found out by testing to have the exact same IQ as Stephen Hawking and Albert Einstein, and would change the world for people with and without disabilities all over the world and also inspire millions to this day? We also learned to ask for what we want without fear. What if Anne, as a young child, hadn't begged to be educated? Both she and Helen Keller would probably lie today in obscure graves, and their contributions would have all been lost. We also learned from Anne to keep going, even if we don't feel like we fit in, just like she didn't feel she fit in, as a rough, poor, uneducated person at Perkins School and as a poor white liberal in the deep, deep South. Furthermore, we are reminded that one person can make a big difference in someone else's life, as Ann Sullivan did to Helen Keller, and that person can go on and make a big difference in others' lives, and that's how we change the world for the better. And finally, we are reminded that there are two kinds of people in the world and two kinds of people listening to this show. The first, who will give up on themselves because they don't think they can. Who will also give up on others because they don't believe in them either. Or they think it's too hard or not worth the effort. And then there's the other kind of person who does believe in themselves, who will try even if they and others think all is lost and will not give up in what they think is best for themselves and for their fellow man. The real question, as always, is which kind are you? This inspirational message was brought to you by Save-A-Lot Beds. Come down to Save-A-Lot Beds. You deserve a great night's sleep at 634 Port Road in Beverly or call 1-300-791919.